You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. John chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. And in this series, our goal is to see Jesus as Messiah, to understand that he is the one true God. And we've been seeing Jesus through John chapter 1. He invited us on a journey. He said, hey, come and see. Come and see that I am good. In John chapter 2, we see that he provided a miracle at a wedding. When they were out of wine, he provided a miracle. John chapter 3, he said, I am the way uh, to eternal life, that no one gets to the Father unless they are born again. He shared with us that the reality of being born again and then last week he showed that he is a barrier breaking God that he broke barriers of religious activity and said I'm going to speak to a woman and I'm going to speak to her and change her life forever and through that relationship change the town of Samaria we're going to continue reading starting in John chapter 5 it's going to be on the screen behind me if you do not have your Bibles Uh, but we're going to start right in verse 1 it says this sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. There was one who had been an invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone goes down and gets in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. This is the scene at Bethesda. I want to kind of set the scene for you if you're not really familiar with what's happening here. This is of the time of the Jewish festivals, and there was a lot of things that happened, uh, especially around the time of the festivals and the Passover, that these miracles would happen surrounding all these different things. People didn't really understand these miracles, but specifically here at the five colonnades at the pool of Bethesda, they believed that an angel would come down, and when the angel would come down, it would stir the water. And so what would happen is all of these people who are around the water, it said the, the lame, the blind, all of those people who are around the water, they would see the water being stirred and then they would run to get into the water like a mad dash to get there as fast as possible because there was this lure that surrounded the water at this pool that the first person who got into the water would be healed. So I'm, I'm telling you, like, back in the day, they didn't have modern medicine. So if, even if you, had, you couldn't have use of your hand, if you had a broken hand that they could heal, you most likely would have been here because this is your, your chance to get healed. This is your chance to have a new life. And it was a rough time back then. And so all of these people who, who were pushed off by society because they couldn't work or because they couldn't provide would sit around this pool and they would wait because they wanted to be the very first one. So I want you to imagine all of these people sitting around this pool and, and their goal, they're probably having a little chit-chat, and their goal, though, ultimately is to be the first in the water. So it's a competition. So really, like, I'm sitting next to my friend here But if it comes down to it, kind of like, you know, we all have that scenario when you're with your friend. Like if I'm in in the woods 
And so let's just say, for example, me and my dad are in the woods. And now he's lost a lot of weight and he looks really great. So he'd probably beat me in a foot race. So I'm thinking to myself, if a bear starts chasing us, I'm pushing him over and I'm running for it. You know what I mean, right? We all have that scenario where we're like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. And that's the situation right now. These guys are sitting there and they're like, hey, I don't have to run faster than everybody, but I just got to get to the pool first. Because in that pool holds my victory in their mind. In that pool holds my healing. They always had one eye on the pool. It seemed too good to be true. Then Jesus walks in and enters the scene, and he sees this man. And Jesus, because he is God with skin on, he knows that this man has been there for 38 years. Jesus knows that he's been there for a long time. And Jesus, by religious standards, I just want to again set the scene so you understand who Jesus is, because the whole point of this series is that we would come and see who Jesus is. Well, we've seen who he is in all of these different chapters. He's breaking another barrier. Just as you see uh, with the Good Samaritan story when the religious people walk on the other side of the road because they don't want to be near blood, there's the same thing that would happen to rabbis. They would not go by people who were broken, people who had leprosy, people who were sick, people who had any potential sickness because then they had to be pulled away from their religious duties and go into a time of cleansing. So Jesus had no right to be here. In fact, him going there meant he most assuredly would become either sick or have to go through a time of religious cleansing, and he did not want to do that. What the people in the religious community didn't understand when Jesus walks into the situation and what we need to understand when we have Jesus in our life is that the light always shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it. That's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 4. That the light came and shined in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That when Jesus goes into the sick situation, the sick people get well, not the healthy people get sick. So that's the reality of Jesus. So he goes into this place, it's dirty, it's smelly, it's not good. There's no one there who is like him. He is probably the only religious person within 500 feet of this place. Just an interesting note on the word Bethesda, it can actually be translated into the place of mercy or the place of grace. And I, I just wanted to take a moment and say maybe you're here today and you're feeling like this man. You're feeling like you're not worth anything. You feel that the dirt and the nastiness of your sin has disqualified you from a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here but you feel like you quite don't belong. And you're waiting for the pool to be stirred or whatever that thing is for you to be changed. Maybe it's I'm waiting to finally not need to have a drink again. Or I'm waiting to finally get the promotion, the job that I deserve or whatever it may be. This thing that I think will desire me. This thing that I think will change me. I want you to know that Jesus Christ sees you. And he came to Bethesda, a place where no other religious leader would go, to bring true mercy and true healing to the place of mercy. That he isn't a king like any other king in history. No other king in history is like him. Every other king looks down on their throne and says, you do what I say. He said, I'll do what you never could do. 
so that you can be with me. That's who Jesus is. That he walked into this dirty, painful situation and he met this man and he will do that for you if you allow him to. That's the kind of God we serve. The God we serve doesn't shy away from broken situations. He doesn't walk away from people who are sick. He doesn't walk away from people who have been abandoned and people who have turned their back on others. He walks right up to you and engages in the conversation. And look what Jesus says to him. He says, do you want to be healed or do you want to be made well? Now, if I'm in this guy's shoes, put yourself in his shoes, you're probably a little frustrated because clearly there's no other reason why I would be here at the pool in Bethesda if I did not want to be well from the water. You're a rabbi. You probably have a lot of school. Wouldn't you be smart enough to know that? Right? Isn't this a rhetorical question? It's so funny that Jesus walks right up to him and says this. How many times do you think that's happened before? How many times do you think people have been like, do you want to get well? How many times do you walk up to someone who's sick, someone who's on crutches, and you're like, you think you want your leg to be healed? You might get smacked in the head with a crutch. You know what I mean, right? Like, no, of course I want my leg to be healed, right? Of course. Obviously. But there's an interesting point. I wonder if Jesus is not asking not only what we see on a surface level, but he's asking something different. Have you ever met someone like this? Someone who's stuck in their stuff. They have a lot going on, like most of us, but for whatever reason in their mind, they can't change where they're at. They're stuck in their stuff. And I often wonder, people who are stuck in whatever they're going through, whether it's addiction or whether it's, you know, what's, whatever's going on in their life, I often wonder, why are they stuck? Is it because maybe they don't have access to the right things? They don't have access to help or they can't get counseling or they don't have a friend or they don't have enough money or they don't have whatever situation. And I often think, why is this? Why are they struggling with this? What's going on? And I love that Jesus asked this question because he takes our human condition into play. Do you want to be healed? It seems like a ridiculous question until you take the inventory of our world. There are many people who would rather continue in the same stuck situation that they're in and just survive than be healed. For example, maybe they know I shouldn't have a drink because I'm an alcoholic, but it's a lot easier to have a drink and numb the pain than it is to go through the pain of getting sober. Or so on and so forth. You can continue with all of the endless examples. And while I know at face value the question seems ridiculous that Jesus would say, do you want to be well? But when you understand that Jesus isn't speaking to someone that he doesn't understand. He's speaking to someone that he made. He's speaking to someone that he knows. He understands us because he made us. And in times I've preached before and I've said, you know what, what a ridiculous question by Jesus. Like, why would he ask this? This is so silly. But the older I get and the more that I've looked at this, I think the reality is we get stuck in our stuff because we just don't want to change. We would rather stay the same, even if it's painful, than change into something new. And I don't understand that about the human condition. 
but I do think that's true. Does anyone agree with me? That it's a lot easier to just stay in the situation, to stay bitter, to stay unhealthy, to stay whatever it may be, than to make a change. It's so much easier to stay in this situation, to stay on this stuck path. But Jesus was coming to do a new thing here on earth. Now the man replies to Jesus' question in a, may, in a way that many of us probably would. He said, listen, here's the deal. I don't have anyone to help me get in the pool. I'm not fast enough. I don't know how to get there quick enough. And this is a very fair answer in my opinion. We can read it together, 7. It says this, this water has healing power. The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. Every time I go down there, someone steps in before me. Now you know what comes right after that, right? Can you hang around to be here until the, time, the next time the water stirred? He wanted to be healed. But he didn't realize that the ultimate healer was the one he's in conversation with. Think about that. So many times I find myself asking God to help me get to a destination so I can finally be healed. I, I want to ask God, God, help me get to this place to where I'm not thinking these bad thoughts or to where I'm not dealing with this anger or I'm not dealing with this bitterness or whatever it is. God, help me get to a place to where I'm not dealing with this. I'm thinking about the destination. But Jesus is standing here and he's listening. I just want to have a conversation. I'm thinking about how many steps do I need to get to so that I don't have to deal with this anymore. And Jesus is saying, hey, what about you just have a conversation with me every day? But we don't like that, do we? I'd much rather have, ding, you have now made it to your destination, right? Quick. Is that Southwest? I don't know. But it's whatever it is, like, I made it. Then God's saying it's going to take you 10 years of consistency to get through this. But in the end, it'll be worth it. I don't like that. Jesus didn't come to earth so that he could beam us up to the next situation. Or that he could be the crutch that we lean on just to get us to the place to where we want to be. So that we can ultimately walk away from him again. He understands that he came down to have a relationship with us. That we cannot ignore him in this relationship. He came down to set us free. But we cannot find that freedom apart from him. So many times we have our eyes on the pool. And the reality is, is Jesus is standing right next to us. And we're missing it. We're missing it because we don't see him. We have our eyes on the stagnant water of the pool waiting for it to be stirred. Maybe you have that with a, your career. I just have my eyes on this job and I'm just waiting for them to call me or I'm waiting to get that promotion. Or I have my eyes on this stage of my marriage or this stage of my relationship and as soon as that happens, ooh, everything's gonna be good. But I miss the reality that the living water of Jesus is standing right next to me. I have my eyes on the stagnant water. Hey, if I get to that place, I'll be good. And Jesus is standing right next to me saying, what if you just had a relationship with me? Because I'm good. He healed this man and he spoke this healing into existence 
And I love how Jesus did it. He just went on his way. He healed him, and then he just kept walking. I want to know how many other people did he heal in the area, the colonnade of Bethesda, that are not here in this book. Because at the end of the book of John, it says this really, really cool thing. It says that all of the books, that meaning if the earth was covered in pages of paper, could not bring us to understand how much Jesus did on those three years. So how many other things did he do? But the reality is the story isn't over, especially not for this man. Let's read John 5, verse 9 through 15. It says this. This is important now. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. This is very important. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It's Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow that told you to pick up pick it up and walk. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and went away. It's awesome. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, hey, you're still well. Stop sinning or something else may happen to you. And then the man goes right to the Jewish leaders and says, it was Jesus. It was Jesus who did it. Jesus is the one who made me well. See, what's interesting is the Jewish leaders see this man and they see that he's carrying a mat. Now, I don't want to presume anything into the text because I learned that in Bible school that's called eisegesis when I start saying something into the text that's not really there. But my mind does go to this place. So I'm not going to presume anything into the text that maybe they knew who this man was. I'm not going to say that. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Right? Maybe they knew that he was paralyzed before this or maybe they didn't. Either way, what I do know is they saw him carrying the mat on a Sabbath. So they stop him and say, hey, listen, the law forbids you from carrying your mat. Why are you breaking Sabbath? You see, the Jewish leaders of this time were extremely observant of the Sabbath. There were some almost 500 rules that they added to the laws so that you did not break Sabbath. You couldn't tie your shoes on Sabbath. Now, they didn't have Nikes. You know, like, I mean, I'm just imagining, like, Marty McFly, where you just have those ones that are self-tie and just, you know what I mean? I thought those were coming out in 2020. What happened, Nike? You know what I mean, right? I really wanted those things. They didn't have those. They had sandals. So I guess, you know, it's a little different. But check this out. This is from uh, one of the commentaries, David Goodsick. He said this, and this is really important for you to understand. The devotion to the rabbi's interpretation of the Sabbath law continues into modern times today. An example is found in April 1992. There was a news article that said tenants let three apartments in an Orthodox, Orthodox neighborhood in Israel burn to the ground while they asked a rabbi whether a telephone call to the fire department on Sabbath would violate Jewish law. Observant Jews are forbidden to use the phone on Sabbath because doing so would break the electrical current which is considered a form of work. So in the hour and a half it took for the rabbi to decide, yes, you can call the fire department, their one apartment building had not burned down but three. So you think about this. That's, that's 1992. Think about this back in the day. This man shares with him this story. Hey, listen, I met a man I was at the pool of Bethesda. It's not all the way in here, but I'm assuming he said, hey, I was just healed. 
And the guy who healed me told me to carry my mat. Why did Jesus want him to take his mat? I mean, like, Jesus, really, you couldn't let this guy just, like, walk away from the pool of Bethesda with all of the hard things that he went through for 38 years? You couldn't let him just walk away from that? Doesn't seem like that big, big of deal right now, Jesus. I'm sure he's crying. I'm sure he's rejoicing. I'm sure he's so happy that he just was healed. And now you want him to pick up after yourself? I understand you care about recycling, Jesus, but this is a mat, okay? It's not a big deal. He was on that mat for the majority of his life. The worst times in his life happened on that mat. And yet, Jesus says to him, take it with you. Pick this mat up and take it with you. Why? What do you think about that? Why would Jesus tell him to take his mat? I think Jesus knows that if you leave behind everything they went, that you go through after you meet him, you will eventually forget who got you through. That in order for him to not only bring you through one thing, but the next and the next and the next, you cannot forget who got you through. That sometimes we are so shameful of our scars. We're so shameful of our scars and of the sins. And, and I, I think rightfully so. I do not think it is in, it's good of us to be like, hey, you know what? I was, a, I was a really good sinner. I used to punch people in the face and you should have seen me on Friday. I was hammered more than anybody, right? I, I don't think that's the right way to do it. But your shame should be broken from Jesus. However, the scars remain. Why do they remain? So you don't forget who got you through. We see this in scripture all the time. God does some incredible thing for the people of God. He does some incredible thing for, for the Israelites. Days later, they're doing it all over again. He brings them out of slavery and they make a golden calf. I mean, it's unbelievable. This is the human condition. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He didn't want that for this man. He wanted him to be free, and he wanted him to stay free. But you cannot stay free if you leave behind the hardships and the brokenness and the pain that you went through. Sometimes you have to remember who got you through. You have to remember it. On this mat, people ignored this man. On this mat, they called him irrelevant. On this man, they spat at him. On this mat, they hated him. God, think about this. I was depressed on that mat. I went through hardship on that mat. I was broken on that mat. But when Jesus brings restoration to you, he wants you to carry it. He wants you to do it because one, I believe one very specific reason, and Laura, I can have you come up at this time. I believe he wants you to do it for one specific reason. There's probably many reasons, but one reason in, in particular. He wants you to share your story with someone else because I believe their freedom is found in your story. Their freedom is found in you sharing your pain. Because when you share your pain, it breaks chains. When you share your pain, it breaks chains. What does the Bible say? That we go by the blood of the lamb and the power of the 
testimony. That when I share my story, if I don't remember my story, how can I share it? Because you take away its power. You are a living, breathing, walking testimony of God's goodness. He's done an incredible work in your life. I don't care who you are. I'm sure he has. Because he's just that good. And he doesn't want you to just set it and forget it. He wants you to share it. Sometimes I used, we used to say this to our college students in Chi Alpha ministry many years ago. We show you our scars so you don't have to have them. We show you our pain so that you cannot have to have it. That's the hard part about the human condition, though. I think you, I didn't understand this and I didn't learn this until I had my son. That there's just some things that I can show him all my scars, I can tell him all these things, but he's just going to have to go through it. And many of us in the room who have parents for way longer than me, I'm sure you can attest to that. He's got to figure it out. He's got to find his own way to Jesus. He's going to have scars that Jesus is going to heal in him. I believe we need to find restoration in Jesus. But the reality is also this. If all of this is true, we pick up our mat, we share our story. Why did the religious Jewish leaders go after this man so hard for carrying his mat? They were more concerned about his outward appearance than his inward transformation. They cared less about his healing and more about him carrying a mat. This is the danger of religious thinking that we can look at people who are coming to Jesus, that we can look at our society, that we can look at our community, that we want to be people in Frankfurt who are ministering to the city, want to minister to Frankfurt, to New Lenox, to Mokina, to Tinley, to Moni, everywhere around. We want to minister to everyone. But if we look at them and their outward appearance, we say, you know what? It's not, it's not good enough. We could miss the inward transformation that Jesus is doing. Sometimes we judge small and insignificant things to miss it. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. The Sabbath was made for us to enjoy God. That's the reality. It's made for us to rest on who God is. It's not about whether or not you can pick up a phone. Please, if your house is on fire, pick up a phone. Let's not worry about insignificant little things. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. You can see the difference between Jesus' thinking and the religious thinking. The religious thinking, they would have never went into that place. They would have never went into the colonnade. Jesus walked right in. This place, they said, don't carry your pain. Don't try to heal anybody else. Don't talk to anybody else. Jesus said, go and tell everybody that you know that he is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Head bowed, eyes closed all over this room. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Jesus? I just want to come to you. I've been keeping my eye on the stagnant water. I've been keeping my eye and I've been focusing on outward appearance. I've, I've been stuck in my mess. I've been stuck in a mess and I'm not really making any traction. I'm waiting for the pool to be stirred. I believe Jesus is speaking to you this morning that he's right here. He wants to speak to you. He wants to change you. He wants to heal you. That's you and you're here this morning. You say, you know what? I just want to acknowledge that 
Jesus, I want more of you. Jesus, I need you today. I need your healing. I need your peace. God, I don't want to be stuck in this mess. I don't want to be stuck in religious thinking. I want to trust you. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for. No one looking around. I'm just going to pray for you, and then we're going to close our service today. If that's you, one, two, three, shoot them all. Yes. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we just ask you that you would come into this place. Holy Spirit, would you have your way? Would you have your way? We invite you into our lives and into our hearts. And God, for those who raise their hands, saying, God, I need more of you. I don't want to be stuck in this religious thinking. I don't want to be stuck in a mess. I don't want to be stuck waiting for something other than you. God, we want to trust you. I pray that you would be the Prince of Peace in their life. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the reality of who you are. That as they walk out of this place today, they would walk out with their their head held high, trusting in you, knowing that you are good, that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith, and that through you, all things are possible, God they can make it through this mess, that they can make it through this situation, through your strength and your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.